on today's episode of Life Embodied. Being curious and listening, which is really the heart of self-parenting, because that's what we do with our kids. We say to them, I'm here, I'm listening. So we do that to ourselves. We say, hey, I'm here, I'm listening. And when we're curious and welcoming, and we have an attitude that says, hey, Jamie, your feelings are okay to feel. It's okay. We don't need to escape. Then we're not abandoning ourselves. We're turning towards ourselves. And then not only do we get less suffering, but we also collect a lot of treasure. And like we're saying, intimacy, empathy, all kinds of amazing gold and jewels come with turning towards Welcome to Life Embodied, where we explore how an embodiment practice can support us in meeting the challenges of life. How can we surf the waves of life deeply anchored in the safety of our bodies? How can we learn to trust our capacity to be with intense sensations and emotions? How can we cultivate body awareness and why does it matter? Episodes include interviews with experts and practitioners that bring their knowledge and passion and share practical tips for your everyday life. I am your host, Katharina Alf. Thank you for joining us and enjoy the conversation. Hi, everybody, and welcome. Today's guest has me a little starstruck and very excited. It's Jamie Ketto musician, filmmaker, author, and workshop facilitator based in Oxford, England. In Germany, and especially in Berlin, he is very well known for being part of the band Faithless and their track Insomnia. He is the creator of the film Becoming Nobody, featuring his beloved teacher Ram Das, and author of the book Insanely Gifted. In his workshops, he supports people to bring back from the shadows hidden parts of themselves to live fuller, more honest and more creative lives. The wonderful track you just heard in the intro was composed by Jamie Cato and Alex Foster and is called Safe Hands. Welcome to the show, Jamie. Thank you. I would like to open with the question, what is it like being your body? My body, okay. Well, as I get older, it's a journey of... Um, on the one side, huge gratitude all the time. Like I'm constantly amazed that there's a dry place to sleep, there's food in the fridge, there's petrol in the car, that it all just carries on is amazing. I'm often in a state of, of just like, wow, this is carrying on, this is amazing. And also at the same time, I'm noticing as I get older that I need a little bit more maintenance There's the somatic maintenance of just being an emotional man. So there's a lot of internal feeling. We recommend a lot on our workshops and in all our stuff that you always have a part of yourself, even though we're very externally focused. I'm here with you. I'm here with whatever I'm doing in the world. But always to have a little part of ourselves that is noticing how we feel on the inside so we can know our boundaries so we can know when something's a yes or a no so we can 
self-care, notice our needs, attend to those needs in healthy ways. All those super important things require always having part of our consciousness on the inside, noticing, feeling, and listening to the messages. Uh, Because our yeses and our noes and our inspirations and our barometer for whether we should go left or right or straight ahead or stay perfectly still, these are all messages that we learn from the inside of the body. So that's the main thing, but also at the same time, noticing just on a purely physical way that uh, I need to move my body, I need to give my body water, I need to give my body good light. And, you know, I can be very, very lazy with that. So the older I get, sometimes the more urgent the messages saying, move, Jamie, come on, move. Yeah. So yeah, that's my little answer to my body question. Wonderful. Thank you. I mean, you kind of touched on it already in your answer, but maybe more specifically, what would you say is your definition of embodiment as a term, as an experience, as a word? Yeah. Um, yeah. Maybe also your definition today, it might change throughout our lives. Thank you. Well, one big one is, you know, being a white male privileged person, it's very easy for me to expect that when I speak, people should listen. And I'm used to having a microphone or a stage and everybody listening. And I went to expensive schools where they taught you to feel very confident that your perspective or your opinion was valuable. So it's very easy to be very articulate and to express things to people and expect them to listen. But what I've noticed as a teacher, especially, is that if it's not being transmitted through the body, if it's not being lived, felt, radiated from an actual living place, more than just words, then it doesn't really matter how articulate you are. It doesn't matter how brilliantly you say things, that if it's not actually in you, if you're not moving from a deep place which matches the things you're saying, then it's like ripples on a pond. They, they disappear very, very quickly. To have an impact, which is my, hopefully, my big purpose in life is to have an impact, to have a positive, inspiring impact, to reduce the loneliness in the world as much as I can. I have to be meaning it. I have to be living it. I have to be embodying it more than just saying it in order to have the impact that I want to have in the world. Mm. Yeah, yeah, wonderful. Not only being smart about things, but also being kind of honest about it at the same time. Yeah, and some days I'm messy and some days I'm tidy. Some days I'm generous. Some days I'm stingy. Some days I'm confident. Some days I'm not. And yeah. it's actually more intimate to connect deeply with people when we show up in how it really is instead of putting on an Instagram filter and pretending everything's always fine and everything's always confident and everything's always successful. It's, it can be very superficial. And so we try and risk not being superficial and not wearing so many masks 
and trust that the people when we present from an authentic place, we trust that the people that will stay will be our people. And the people that leave, that's okay. We're not going to be everybody's favorite. Yeah, that's a that's sometimes a hard to swallow pill, I would say. <laughs> yeah, we're conditioned for everyone to love us and for everything to look perfect. Yeah, and I think it's something that that I really value a lot about your work and your approach is this kind of lightness and non dramatic approach. This honesty showing up and I can imagine that because you come from the show business right so I can imagine that you've had times in your life where there was a lot of drama and a lot of confusion around what is intensity what is intimacy what is meaningful and I used to be an actress myself so I I, I feel like I've looked for intense intimacy in different surroundings. Mm -hmm. and, and I don't always find it easy to, um, to be really honest about what, what it is that I'm looking for. Mm -hmm. do, do you know what I mean? Well, it's sometimes we have been conditioned to believe that intimacy and authenticity can be high risk. Yeah. And I Ego doesn't want high risk. Our ego wants safety and um, control. So the two things don't go together so well. Like, it's okay, you know, we all have an ego. It's not the enemy. Some people think the ego is the enemy. It's not. The only enemy is when the ego is in charge of everything, making all the um, But sometimes you have to say, thank you, ego. I understand you want safety. Yes, I know you want to look a little bit more shiny and pretty than you look today but we're going to go with the authentic today and we're going to trust and sometimes we have to very carefully relieve the ego of duty lovingly and not so many power of decision making but not also to try and push it away and go you're a bad ego you're not spiritual enough that's another trap important to have an ego to be an individual on planet earth You know, this game of being a human where we live for 70 or 80 years, this game requires the idea of being an individual. There's me and there's you. And in order to have experience, we have to be an individual so that we can say, I'm Jamie and there's Jamie and pizza, <laughs> Jamie and music, Jamie and Katarina. There has to be me so there can be you, so we can have an experience of each other. So it's very important to have an ego but to also be on top of its agenda to always be comfortable and in control and the best or the most special one, you know? Yeah. So noticing all those impulses, but not letting those impulses make the decisions in my life. Yeah. Would you say that back in the days when, when you were maybe more on stage in front of bigger crowds, that it has been a challenge to kind of shift from from seeking that kind of intensity to maybe seeking a more profound kind of intensity or i i don't even want to you know like rank it which one is better or like you say like more spiritual or more valuable but i think being on stage and and this kind of thrill 
can be a burning flame. Yeah, I like them all, to be honest. You know, I love, yeah. <laughs> I love big stages, thousands and thousands of people singing songs. I love that feeling. Very easy on the ego, of course, because everyone loves you and, and you're on the stage with lights and amplification. <laughs> it's like <laughs> yeah. perfect ego trip. And I think it's important to enjoy the thrill of that, even if you don't make it the most meaningful thing. We used to have a, a line we said in Faithless, thrilling but not meaningful. Mm. But just because it doesn't mean you're Mr. Special, just because it doesn't mean you're better than everyone or that you're super, you know, it it can still be really exciting. And it's a false kind of humility to pretend that it's not exciting, it's not thrilling. So the, the art, the invitation, is to really enjoy the excitement without making it some belief or meaning that it means I'm extra special. And when you're teaching, yeah, maybe there's smaller groups, 200 people or whatever, uh, or, or even smaller, 20 people, it has a different kind of richness, but it's still very, very thrilling to share certain ideas with people, to see people in transformation, to share courage with them, to share a lot of laughter about how crazy we all are, you know, like to take off the mask where everyone's being so perfect and all of us be a mess together is very, very, you know, satisfying and funny and intimate. You can't really compare apples with oranges, but I really love it all. You know, I just, I love to yeah. share and be, have all these different kinds of intimacy. That's my great excitement on this planet is all the different flavors of intimacy, intimacy with you, intimacy with my lover, intimacy with nature. If we're walking in nature, intimacy with a crowd of people, intimacy with myself. We began by talking about the feelings inside our body. It's very exciting to have a relationship with the inside of your body and a relationship yeah. with your feelings to know that you can listen to them. You can get the data. It's all of these things are really, really like a huge luxury once you're turned on to them. Would you say that this is maybe a definition of intimacy, that it's um, being in touch with life and at the same time being in touch with yourself and your inner resonance in a way? Yeah. And, and if you want to be really pretentious, you kind of say, my reply to you would be, they're both the same thing. Mm. You know, that it is my interface with life is the feelings in my body and the electrical impulses in my brain. That is my video game. Yeah. In order to experience you and intimacy and pizza, I'm using this very advanced thing called the body, which has touch, which has taste, which can see things, which can hear things, rhythms, tones of voice which can have emotions, which has depression, which has excitement, which has eros and sexiness, which has dancing and rhythms. I mean, it's just the most amazing thing, a body, if you uh, enjoy it consciously. Yeah, I, I, I agree wholeheartedly. <laughs> <laughs> so what would you say, like, when did you... When did you start to really dive into those topics? I think when I was like in my late teens or early 20s, which was also when I started playing a lot of music, um, 
I also had really, really strong panic attacks, which was a huge somatic experience because it was vomit and diarrhea and crying and shaking and terror. So it was a very, very intense physical body experience having panic attacks and very out of control. And so the journey to survive that was where I began to learn the kinds of things we're talking about today just to survive. Hmm. So where did you start or how did it start then? You were in that amount of suffering and then what happened? And then my mum, who was always ahead of the game, she had gone to a workshop called Turning Point run by this really amazing Australian teacher called Graham Brown. And um, so I went along to that and had my first experience of somatic things learning how to breathe properly, learning that I wasn't the only one. You know, there was a whole group of people with different problems and different challenges. And it was like, yeah, that was, that was my first step. Then I discovered Ram Das, who's like my absolute favorite teacher because he's very unpretentious. There's a lot of pretentious stuff in the new age and in self-development. And it's wonderful when you come across a teacher like Ram Das or Pema Chodron um, people like that who are not pretentious. They're very funny and they use their own melodrama as the teaching. They're not pretending they're above everything. So I felt very included and very like, wow, I've really found my authentic people. So I would study and listen to all the Ramdas tapes and read his books and go to retreats. And then that would lead to another thing, maybe a Buddhism thing or a Hindu thing or a, even the Jewish and the Christian stuff like Some people look down on being a spiritual tourist, but I think in the early stages when you're finding what resonates with me, what touches my heart, what makes me feel alive, you have to like explore a few different things to see which is your flavor. And um, I'm very for that. I think it's, it's such a luxury that we have the opportunity with so many different books and so many different films, so many different YouTube clips, so many different podcasts, so many different cool stuff that you can explore to see which one is your flavor. You know, there's eight billion people on this planet. So there's eight billion different experiments going on to find the cocktail that, that meets your heart and feels like a yes. And um, again, you can only know what meets your heart and only know what feels like a yes by listening to the body, by feeling that yes. The yes is a, is a sensation. It's not a concept. So did it help with the anxiety? Yeah, very much. And it also allows the anxiety to transform. Like <clears throat> there's always going to be anxiety. It's part of being a human. It's part of having an ego is that there is anxiety. But when you begin to turn towards it, you know, we're so conditioned to turn away from everything uncomfortable. The ego only wants comfortable things. So we're, culturally conditioned to always be comfort addicted but if you step past that and go no I'm going to be curious about my pain I'm going to be curious about my anxiety and that means instead of turning away from it and running away and running to the fridge running to internet shopping running to some drug or alcohol or sex instead of using those things to escape the edge instead we go towards the edge carefully gently not rushing there like i'm a big spiritual warrior look how hard i'm what you know it's not some big glamour trip 
but just being curious about the feelings and then the words. Sometimes the feelings want to say things. They want to communicate things. Being curious and listening, which is really the heart of self-parenting, because that's what we do with our kids. We say to them, I'm here. I'm listening. So we do that to ourselves. We say, hey, I'm here. I'm listening. And when we're curious and welcoming and we have an attitude that says, hey, Jamie, your feelings are okay to feel. It's okay. We don't need to escape then we're not abandoning ourselves, we're turning towards ourselves. And then not only do we get less suffering, but we also collect a lot of treasure. And like we're saying, intimacy, empathy, all kinds of amazing golden jewels come with turning towards. Yeah, I've just been rereading your book, Insanely Gifted, and you quote the sentence, uh, let go or be dragged. Yeah. Which I, I think it really kind of fits in this context of resistance will in the end always be more uncomfortable than giving in. Yeah, you exactly. Like there's almost like a mathematical equation where you say, because there will always be pain in life. Life comes yeah. with some pain, but, but we always resist it or escape it. So like we say pain plus resistance equals suffering but pain plus curiosity equals liberation or learning or treasure or something better than suffering about a bit of a different topic, but I know you're kind of into it, <laughs> or I assume, which is the whole topic of men and women or masculinity and femininity. Yeah. And I know that you run workshops on this and that you're doing a lot of research on this field. Yeah. Um, what, what excites you there or how... Where do you come from when you approach this topic? I think that I'm noticing that much of the problems on the planet, uh, including the eco-devastation and all that stuff, is a mirror of the battle between the masculine and the feminine. But the masculine has tried to control the feminine because the ego wants certainty and comfort and no risk and when I say masculine and feminine I don't even always mean the gender of people born with a penis people born with a vagina because even that now is not exactly specific with non-binary and trans and all the different things it's not so exact and that's okay you know I think people are a little bit aggressive like there are some people who have grown up with the The idea as a certainty that somebody with a penis is a man and somebody with a vagina is a woman, and that's not questioned. Now that is more ambiguous. It takes some people a bit longer to grasp that ambiguity that it's not as it used to be. And I don't think those people are bad people. You know, some people, oh, that means you're transphobic or you're, that means you're a turf or that means you're something bad. But I think we have to be patient 
that a lot of people take a little bit longer to understand this whole concept of of genders changing and non-binary and things which aren't specific. I, I think we need to be a bit more patient with people who are catching up and not just condemn them as phobic or bad people. You know, they, they just, it takes a long time it's to, for some people to really understand, really? Having a penis doesn't mean you're a man and having a vagina that doesn't mean you're a woman anymore? Wow, that's that's quite big news for a lot of people, you know, and it's okay that they may take a little longer as long as they're not violent or, or unkind or limiting the rights of people. It's okay that they may take a bit longer to to let that in, you know. Anyway, that's a separate conversation. But in the battle of men and women, historically, there has, of course, been a huge amount of abuse in the direction of the men towards the women, a huge amount of control, a huge amount of violence, a huge amount of sexual violence, both physical, mental, emotional. There has been incredible amounts of abuse for hundreds, maybe thousands of years. And at the same time, there's a new generation of men who are very courageously and intelligently wanting to transform that wound, transform that hell, and recreate male leadership to move away from dominion and rape and control and to make male leadership about service and love and devotion, Mm. uh, which is how it should really be, you know, harmoniously. So there's a lot of guys doing workshops and going to Five Rhythms dancing and playing with their kids and opening up their emotions. There's a very cool wave of beautiful, courageous men. And we hope there'll be more and more because it's hard for men. Men, uh, when they're growing up in the usual mainstream patriarchal culture, are not really supported in expressing their emotions they're not really supported in crying openly they're not supported in being vulnerable there's they've they are brainwashed by culture to be strong and brave and you know and the kinds of things which which don't support what we need so it's a really wonderful wave but just because these men are doing this great work it doesn't mean that suddenly the women are all going to say, ah, you're doing the work. Okay, come run back into our arms. Come sit by the fire. Let's all, you know, be healed together now. You cannot skip the step of the healing that needs to happen because of all the abuse. You can't just jump over that part. So the men, the women, understandably, are not ready yet psychically, emotionally, politically, to say, okay, guys, yeah, it's all fine. Let's just forget about the past. We can, you know, let's all just run into each other's arms. That is skipping a very important step, I believe, of the forgiveness, the reparations in a way. It, it has hurt the men as well as it's hurt the women, by the way. It's hurt everybody, the patriarchal system and the violence and the rape culture, which is raping the mother earth as well as raping the women, it has hurt everybody. So there needs to be, I believe, a very clearly created process 
for this healing to happen so that then we can go to the next step of all running into each other's arms again. But we can't skip that step. So we need a lot of conversations. We need a lot of confession. We need a lot of forgiveness. We need a lot of understanding. We need a lot of talking. We need a lot of crying. We need a lot of patience and stillness. And we can't hurry that stage. So I would like to do a lot more talking and sharing. Like at the end in South Africa, at the end of apartheid, Nelson Mandela created a whole system across the country. Um, I think it was called Truth and Reconciliation, where they had meetings all over the country where people came forward and they talked about the violence they had experienced. They talked about the violence in racism and in apartheid that they had perpetuated, that they had participated in. And it saved a bloodbath by doing that. It was a very important stage in the healing of the country, which is still going on now. And it's like we need the same thing for the men and the women to have a real acknowledgement of the violence on all it, in all its forms and the lack of equality and the control. And we need to kind of do that before we can all suddenly be past the trauma. We need to heal the trauma as well as all the men open up to their feelings and play with their children and dance by rhythms. Yeah, yeah. Wonderful. Thank you for uh, for doing your part in this. I I agree that it's a very crucial step in a way. And you also touched on it that it's kind of that there is a bit of an urgency in this, considering how far we have already exploited our foundation of living, our earth. Yeah. And... Maybe you can say a bit more about this kind of, of bigger picture and the moment in time we are in right now and what is what is so urgently needed, not only between men and women, but also between humankind and the rest of nature or the yeah. to not make us separate. Yeah. I think we have to redefine the concept of money. Um, right now, we live in a culture where we worship quick money. And because of the worship of quick money, we're destroying the planet. And there is a very small amount of mostly white men who have some kind of psychological condition that to look at a big number on a piece of paper makes them feel fulfilled. <laughs> and their addiction to that number on that piece of paper being as large as possible is creating millions of people dying of poverty, millions of people dying from unnecessary disease, millions of wars of families being blown up, cities being turned to rubble, the soil being destroyed, the air quality being destroyed, the water being polluted, the icebergs melting. I mean, this extraordinary, incredible, immeasurable level of destruction, pain, and hell, all because a small amount of guys are addicted to seeing a big number on a piece of paper. And we need to change that 
like we need to have a limit on how much wealth somebody can have. And I don't think that we will make the progress or the survival that we need to make for us and the other creatures on this planet until we have made a clear decision that nobody can have above a certain number. That number can only reach a certain number. Let's say we say 500 million. I don't know. I'm just saying a number. Like I don't know what the number would be. But let's say we said nobody can ever have more than 500 million and anything above that has to go back into the system and be moving around and, you know, making hospitals and schools and feeding children. And we say to those people like, well done, you beat capitalism, you won the money game <laughs> and you have a park named after you or, you, or, or a boat or something mm-hmm. and we pay for all your therapy um, because you must need therapy if you think that it's a problem for us to take everything above 500 million away. If you still think that's bad, then you are mentally ill. If you think that your need to have more than that is more important than feeding all the children of the world uh, and saving the planet from destruction, then it means you're sick and um, you've been conditioned wrong. And it's understandable, no judgment, but we'll pay for very, very good therapists for you. But we're taking everything above 500 million and putting it back into the system. I'm not saying everything should be equal. You can still have a chalet and a helicopter and a, and a house on the beach. You know, I'm not saying that some people won't have more than other people. That, that's impossible. In the same way, some people have more luck than other people with their body. Some people are healthy. Some people are less healthy. You know, we can't make everything even. But we can definitely put a cap. And if we could do that and redefine our idea of money to be not just a crazy ego nightmare where the number gets bigger and now I have a billion, now I have 10 billion, now I have 100 billion, and meanwhile... That's more important than children starving and icebergs melting and the soil being destroyed and, you know, a holocaust of animals every day for processed meat. Then, yeah, I think that's really the one thing that has to, until it changes, it doesn't matter how many other activists are cleaning the beaches or it doesn't matter. While we are still worshipping quick money, we are quite doomed i think so like i when i'm king of the world i would start there it's not like we can't have capitalism but we can't have unregulated capitalism there has to be a limit have a bit of a request, which is kind of circling back to the idea of reducing loneliness in the world and getting back into connection and into intimacy and a healthy intensity of life. Mm. I love how you usually talk about games rather than exercises. Yeah. 
and that you talk about like personal development as a form of entertainment rather than a form of work. Wow, you've been really um, paying attention. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I actually quote you every now and then because I really, I really love this framing to yeah. take the heaviness out of it and to be like, okay, can I, can I approach this with lightness and with humor and with curiosity? Yeah, it's it's funny. People are always amazed that little children can learn languages so quickly in the first five years of their life. They're like, isn't it amazing? A little child can suddenly just be speaking French, German, Russian. You know, they can just pick it up. But then after they're five or six, it drops off. They, they just don't have such an incredible capacity anymore. Well, why do you think that is? It's because until they're five, everything they're learning, they're learning through play. And the moment they hit five or six, we sit them in classrooms in rows, only doing academic, you know, like parrots, and the play stops. And of course, therefore, their learning curve stops. Playing and enjoying games is the best way to learn things with laughter, with excitement, with collaboration, with enjoying each other, with our hearts open. That is how we learn best because we're having a good time. And when we're having a good time, our hearts and all our channels are open and everything pours inside. So, mm. yeah, I'm, I'm a really big believer that playing doesn't mean it, that, it, that it's not important. You know, playing doesn't mean that it's puerile. Playing doesn't mean that it's surf superficial or that it's not deep or that it's not um, efficient. You can play very efficiently. It doesn't mean that it's just a game, so we're not really doing anything important. Like, you can do a lot of really important stuff with games. So, yeah, I don't mean games to dismiss that it has depth. Yeah. I just mean that when we're playing together and we're interested and we're laughing and we are open and we're not making it a big melodramatic competition, then I just think we... And I've just noticed it. I mean, I, I feel vindicated here because in my workshops, I see the I see this proving itself to be true. People really make huge uh, leaps and huge progress when they are having a beautiful social, intimate time with each other, more than when they are pushing themselves. Like when we're doing this stuff. A lot of the stuff that we're working with is the parts inside us which are quite fragile, which are quite young. You know, we're working with these young parts of ourselves that live inside, which are a bit frozen and a little bit wounded and a little bit confused. These young, young parts that live inside us. Usually when we're arguing with each other, when we're fighting, when we're anxious, when we're in conflict, a very young part of us is, is in charge. We're behaving like children. We're using the values and the language often of, of little children. And it's only later when we calm down that we're an adult again. So we're working with most of the problems we're trying to solve or the healing we're trying to do is involving very young parts of me and you and all of us. And no young person ever benefited or thrived or improved from being dragged non-consensually into situations and hurried and slave driver, and come on, you can, you know, that doesn't really suit little kids. Little kids, they do really well with patience and encouragement 
and laughter and and no judgment patience and encouragement so i'm a really big believer that we need to treat our self development with a lot of patience and encouragement and curiosity and the kinds of things where little children thrive not cracking a whip and being like no pain no gain you got to push through you got to get out of the comfort zone into the learning i just think that doesn't really work so well yeah it's true it's all in the attitude usually it doesn't work when we talk to ourselves like that right yeah and yet that is how a lot of people want to do their self development and i i don't think it's very efficient you know like i'm really about efficiency i know it sounds i sound like a bit of a hippie but i'm only using these concepts because i think they work it's only because they're efficient it's not because they're fluffy yeah so here comes my request what would be the first low key game you would offer someone who feels challenged by life is this too vague or are you inspired by this question first thing to do is to consider the idea that you are two things at the same time you are both the actor on the stage somebody going through all the dramas being a person with your family with your work with your friends with your inner life you know the person you think you are you you are that but you are also a wise witness who is watching it all hmm. and the one who's watching it all can notice times you're feeling angry can notice what you're thinking can notice the thoughts which say oh you're such a bad person or oh i'm such a failure or oh i should give up or oh they don't like me or it it is separate from all that watching and is loving is kind is watching with kind eyes listening with kind ears that that is really the most important step is to not only be in the ego which is living life and in the drama and hoping things and avoiding things and escaping things and working hard and trying our best and worried about this and meeting up with so and so at three o'clock. you know there's all that but there's another part which is not totally swept away which is just watching lovingly and noticing because the moment you have a part of yourself which is watching and noticing then you can notice yourself think something usually when you think something like oh i couldn't i couldn't go to that party no no i it would be i couldn't possibly go they won't like me i i won't fit in it'll be awful so you have that thought most people will believe that thought because they don't question they're not watching but if you can cultivate a part of yourself which is noticing yourself with loving eyes and go wow I was thinking that I shouldn't go to the party because I'll have a horrible time. Now is that definitely true? Will I or should I maybe risk it? The moment that you can question your mind and notice how you're feeling, the moment that you 
And everybody has one. It's not out of reach. Everybody has a part of themselves that they can use to watch lovingly. Then you have a chance to sometimes believe the mind and sometimes not believe the mind. Because the mind is a menu. And yet most people are living their life as if their mind is always true and they should always do what it says. But when you cultivate the part of yourself that can notice lovingly what the mind is thinking, and then you can decide as the loving witness watching one what you will do. And your life will be much better. And um, a good place to start is just to start noticing your thinking and notice how much you talk to yourself in maybe an unkind way and see if you can start by changing that. If you want one small place to start, start by trying to talk to yourself in a more kind way. Just start with that. That could transform the whole planet, just if everyone just did that one thing. But as a starting point, notice the unkind ways you talk to yourself in your head, and maybe the unkind thoughts you have about other people, if you want to go even further. But start just with yourself and just see if you can a little bit talk to yourself a little bit with a little bit more kindness. Thank you. That's very beautiful. So before we close, is there anything that you would really like to talk about right now <laughs> that I didn't ask you yet and that is kind of, that gets you going at the moment? Yeah, I I have this, um, I want to reach as many people with these ideas as possible. And I can only yeah. reach so many people. Um, so I, I've started a thing called Bring It, Bring Your Unique Flavor into the World for facilitators, leaders, healers, and clowns. <laughs> It's a kind of a, a, a nine-month training uh, so that I can train people to deliver these kinds of games and these kinds of things so that it's not just me, like every year another 25 people And then they are reaching 25 people and then they're reaching 25 people so that we can exponentially grow uh, the cult. <laughs> um, yeah, so that we can, you know, so that really is the best thing I think I've done is to create a system where more and more people can deliver the love in their unique way. They don't have to do it exactly how I do it. Everybody has their own flavor. Some people want to do it more with their body, body work. Some people want to do it more with drama. Some want to do it more with breath work. Some people want to be spiritual. Some people want to be corporate. Some people want to be artistic. Some people, you know, everyone has different flavors, different combinations. So I've created this system to get the best out of everybody um, to, yeah, to deliver and bring this to as many people as possible. And it's called Bring It. And um, I'm looking for people to come and join in. Awesome. Yeah, I will definitely put links to your website and your Instagram in the show notes so people can find you. Thanks. And I also know that you offer the 
a free meeting twice a week, I think. You started in the pandemic and it's still yeah. ongoing. Can you say a few words about this? Yeah, we started this thing. It's called The Lovely Gathering. It doesn't have a Facebook group or a... It's on my website somewhere. Uh, it's just my usual Zoom link. And on Wednesday evenings and Saturday mornings, it's free. People come. You don't have to have your camera on. You don't have to speak. You don't have to do anything. But some people like to share. Sometimes they read a poem they like or something they've written or sing a song or just talk about how their life is, sometimes very challenging. Some of the people are, are housebound. You know, they're not very well. Some people are very, very active. So some people share, some people listen. And you, as I say, you don't have to join in. You know, you don't have to even have your camera on. You can just, you know, just be on the Zoom and just enjoy feeling the energy and being part of the family. And it's twice a week for free forever. Hmm. This is... It's absolutely fantastic. <laughs> Thank you for offering this. It's really, it's such a gift. Everyone's welcome. Yeah, I just want to reduce the loneliness. I, I've really experienced a lot of loneliness in my life, and I know a lot of others. You know, our culture, it, it can get very lonely. And um, even sometimes when you're around a lot of other people, you can still feel very lonely. Um. So, yeah, we really want to um, see if we can help that. Yeah, we do. It's a great mission. And thank you for being on it. <laughs> My absolute pleasure. Thank you for inviting me today. Yeah, my pleasure. And I, I might ask you back because there are many, many topics that we touched today that we could, I think we could elaborate mm, for a long time on. Yeah, I'd love to. Thank you. <laughs> so much for listening i hope you enjoyed our conversation and if so i'd be happy if you left a review on spotify or apple podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts let me know if an important platform is missing and yeah please share it with your friends if you enjoyed so i wish you a good day and good flow and that you experience a lot of connection with life and with loved ones and that you are well And hopefully see you back in two weeks. <laughs>